So, as we uh, go into the message this morning, I would ask that you would turn to Romans chapter 9, and the message, the passage of Scripture for us today is going to be Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 30, 30, and going all the way through Romans chapter 10, verse 13. We'll kind of break those up uh, throughout the message for you today, but as I was thinking and kind of uh, you know dealing with today and, and where we are and the message, it's a warning from Paul about self-righteousness. And whenever I thought about that and thought about that title, uh, I don't know about you, but it brought me to a message that I preached uh, you know three weeks ago. And the message that I preached three weeks ago was about, um, I have it right here for you, so I don't know, I'm not going to stumble. Um, it's comfort in our times from the past. So we're getting comfort from our times today from words that Jesus gave to us in the past. And that was the passage of Scripture that I brought to you from John chapter 7 that talked about where Jesus was going. Uh, it also talked about the make room for them or prepare a room for them. And whenever we moved into that message, that was the first message into this new year of 2020. And I brought to you a story, or I guess it's really not a story, but something that had really affected my time and, you know, in that week. And there was a government official that had stood up uh, whenever he was in the Senate and began to talk about the election process and if they had changed the election process on how they would show the world that the government system was broken. Well, we all know that the government system's broken. It's not broken to him because he's part of that system. Therefore, to him, it's not broken. So whenever we look at this, and we look at this part as far as Paul warning us about self-righteousness, we also have to look at ourselves because if we're honest with ourselves, we are self-righteous. We're self-righteous because we look at other people and we say, well, I'm not that bad, so I must be pretty good. So we self-righteous or we judge ourselves by other people, therefore making this a self-righteous system that we're in. For you that are here today, sitting in the church today, uh, you know, I don't know, hopefully you don't feel this way, but you know, you might pat yourself on the back and say, yes, I got up and I got out into the rain and stuff in the cold weather and I made an effort to come to the house, uh, you know, praise me, you know, I'm better than these slackers that's online, that's just simply laying in bed, still in their pajamas uh, and they're watching the message online. No, I thank everybody for watching it online. I thank everybody for being here. But that is a self-righteousness that we look and we say, well, you know, I came to church today, so my relationship with God has to be better than, than the people's relationship that didn't come to church today. But then we also, we take this and we look at this as far as self-righteousness, and I ask the question, if you were left alone, what in yourself would you fix? Now, you might right off the bat run through your mind and say, well, you know, I'm a little lazy sometimes. I would, you know, try to correct that. No, you wouldn't. 
Because, see, it's your self-righteousness, okay? So you are the one that's doing this justification and writing yourself. And if we leave things to ourselves, we're broken human beings, so we do not want to fix where we are. Who I am and where I am at as someone lost in this world, I'm okay with it. There again, I'm not as bad as Stephen is. I didn't do what Sam did yesterday. Right? Because everybody else is wrong and I'm not. Everybody else's opinion's off, mine's not. The way that I think is the way that everything should be, right? We have peace in this world as long as you do it the way that I want you to do it. Come on, guys. Smile at least. These are halfway funny, right? You know, a happy house is a happy, happy spouse? Or is that a happy wife? Happy wife. See, there you go. See, that's where we are. I, you know, I don't want to fix myself because if I fix myself, that means that I have to work to do something better. And yes, all of humanity is lazy. Because we don't want to straighten out anything. Had a conversation with one of our friends. Uh, she came over to the house and she was, uh, you know, we were talking about, uh, you know, my leg and how she was sorry that I was hurting and all this. And she was letting Peggy and I know that she was moving from the apartment complex. Okay. And lo and behold, we got to talking about things that she's going to miss from being in the apartment complex. And she goes, you know what I'm going to miss most of all, most of everything else? It's the trash pickup. Trash pickup. Because all I have to do is just simply set it outside the door. I just simply tie a knot. I don't even have to take it out of the trash can. I just simply slide the trash can, trash bag right outside the door. Somebody comes and picks it up. That's lazy. But we're there. Look at all the inventions in the world. It's so that we can make things a whole lot easier for us, right? Robots are putting cars and stuff together because it hurts us to pick up those heavy things. You know, those, all that heavy stuff. Man, this is kind of funny, but it, you know, we're lazy. If we wanted to correct things, that meant we had to work on it. That also means that we have to recognize that I'm broken. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor, didn't you talk about that a couple of weeks ago? About Jesus Christ coming to this world to redeem the world? And if he came to redeem the world, then that means the world's broken? Oh, so I have to admit that there's somebody in this world that's not broken? Yeah, it's God. So our self-righteousness falls short because we cannot become righteous because we are broken. There's absolutely no way that something that is broken can make itself righteous. It has to have something outside of its brokenness to make it righteous. To make it right. But we don't want that. It's easier being the way that we are. 
You remember in that first message about comfort, I talked to you about Nicodemus and Jesus and Nicodemus's conversation. So Nicodemus, you know, whenever we look at Nicodemus, Nicodemus was a Jew, so he was the chosen people of God. So on that fact, Nicodemus was telling Jesus, I don't need to repent and be baptized. I'm one of your chosen. And Jesus kept on. He says, no, everyone that lives must be born again. How in the world am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb and be born again? I'm an old man. Jesus then talks about spiritual. And he says, how can I talk to you about spiritual things if you don't understand earthly things? See, Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth. Nicodemus couldn't see it and he didn't understand it. Well, he understood it because he wrote the law to help him to become righteous. So Nicodemus knew all about what Jesus was talking about. He just didn't want Jesus to be the one to do the righteous or to make him righteous. He wanted to do it himself. Therefore, they had written all the laws. But not only that, Nicodemus didn't need to be made righteous because he's the one that wrote the law. That if you followed the law, then you could become righteous or be seen righteous in the eyes of God. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. It says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as a way of righteousness has not obtained their goal. So wait a minute. The Jews or the, the Gentiles that didn't seek righteousness but now believe in Jesus Christ find themselves to be righteous. But the Jews that sought out righteousness through the law have not obtained their goal. So all the laws that Nicodemus and all the Pharisees had been writing has not brought them unto righteousness. But yet, the Gentiles that received Jesus Christ through faith have obtained righteousness. Because it's not by what they're doing, but by what Christ is doing within them. The Jews, the Pharisees and Sadducees, are creating laws so that they could work at being righteous. And they haven't obtained it. They still haven't obtained it. Even to this day. They still have not obtained righteousness. You know, the law does not bring us under righteousness. It's only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we have righteousness. But then that brings us back to this that we, we have to understand we need to get to the point in our lives that we understand that we're broken. 
And until we get to the point that we understand that we're broken, then we can't fix what's broken. The only thing that can fix what's broken is Jesus Christ, which is the Redeemer of the world. He's the only way that, and the only one, that can fix our brokenness. But it's not through us, it's not through what we do. So there's people in the church, and I kind of made light of this in the beginning, that that pat themselves on the back because they went to church, because they put forth the effort to come to church. Uh, You know, there's legalistic systems and there's, there's legalistic Christianity that's within the church that says, because I came to church, I'm righteous. Because I go to Sunday school, I'm righteous. And up until about a year ago, until I go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, then I'm not righteous. See, I had a conversation with our board members. What makes a person righteous? Is it the fact that he comes to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? No. No. Does him reading or her reading scripture make them righteous? No. None of that makes them righteous. Remember, Jesus Christ is the only thing that can make us righteous. So the church has legalistic things. The more times you take communion, the more righteous you are. The more times you go to the altar, the better you are. I'm going to say that would be right, because hopefully whenever you come to the altar, you're actually meeting the one that can make you righteous. But if we're coming to the altar so that other people can see us come to the altar, it's like the Pharisee that prays on the the corner so that he can be heard. You know, there's, there's even righteousness as in, uh, you know, whenever we give money to the church, we tell other people that we gave money to the church. You know, y'all took up a love offering for me last week, and I really appreciate that, and, uh, you know, and, and I, I thank God for that. Yes, I was able to go in and to have my surgery. Uh, do I have more to pay? Yes, I have more to pay, but God's going to provide, and I'm going to be okay. But I want you to know that if you walked away from here and you went and told your friend or you told your neighbor or somebody like that that you gave to the pastor's love offering so that he can have surgery, you have gained your reward already. See, see, that's not, you know, giving doesn't make you righteous. Jesus was trying to get Nicodemus to see and to understand that your statue of being a Jew or being a religious leader does not make you righteous. The only thing that can make you righteous is a new birth, a spiritual birth. But to have the spiritual birth, you have to have the Knowledge of brokenness. And you have to be called, 
by Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that no one comes unto the Father except for through Jesus. The unpardonable sin that we preached about last week. The drawing of the Holy Spirit. That draws us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Notice the Holy Spirit does, not other Christians. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our brokenness. And then we have the opportunity to ask to be fixed. To ask for repentance or to repent. So we get this brokenness. We get, we get this, this process. That as Jesus talked to Nicodemus and as he warns us through Paul about self-righteousness. That we're all broken. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all must repent of our sins and turn from our wicked ways. And only if we have faith within Him and believe and stand upon His word. But if we use it as in works, it becomes a stumbling stone. Because Jesus has never been about works. Let's go on to chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they do not know the righteousness of God, and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. It talks all about where the Pharisees and where the religious leaders are at this time. But whenever we look at this, we can actually point this to the world system. There's a lot of people that are zealous for this worldly system. And there's a lot of people that believe that this worldly system will one day, someday, possibly bring about peace to this earth. And they're zealous for that. And they're working hard for that. But until they realize that the knowledge that they have is not knowledge in itself, Scripture tells us that Jesus is truth. It's not that Jesus spoke truth. It's not that Jesus gave us truth. But Jesus is truth. Because he is salvation. And until we are able to look at that and to see that, we're not going to see this. You know, a lot of this, and, and through this whole process, uh, you know, in these last few messages... I, you know, I hope that you can see and understand that it has to come. We, we've got to get to this point that we realize that we're broken and that we repent of our sins. Until we find out, until we realize that we're broken, we're, we'll never repent. And we'll never be able to see Jesus in heaven for eternity. But the thing about it is, is that we don't want to. 
until we realize that. We, we don't want to. I remember, I, you know, we've, I've talked to you about it. You know, I, you know us as human beings, we, we don't want to change. But not only do we not want to change, but what Christianity has brought out and what Christianity has brought to the world, we really don't want it. We don't want self-righteousness that we have seen in churches for so long. We want genuine righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ. We only want genuine repentance. But genuine righteousness and genuine repentance, that comes at a change, and we really don't want to change. And we don't want to change because the things of this world looks a whole lot better than the things of heaven. Because you're asking me to change what I'm doing and the things that I love right now. You're asking me to change those things for something that is spiritual, for something that I don't see, for something that I don't understand. And we struggle through this. You know, we as Christians, we struggle through it because there's times in our lives that we relinquish and we turn and we begin to do the things on our own. See, it's, it's not until we can truly understand what Paul is talking about. Begin with verse 5. In Romans chapter 10, it says, For Moses writes that the laws, that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commands. We should highlight, underline, bold, circle, whatever it would be, that word all, that we would follow all of the commands. But faith's way of giving righteousness with God, giving, getting right with God says, don't say in your heart, who can go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And do not say, who will go down to the place of the dead and to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says, this message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing with your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
there in verses 12 and 13, goes back to last week and Jesus making sure that every single person that has, and that, that has been on this earth, that is on this earth or ever will be on this earth, has the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says the Jews and the Gentiles are the same in this respect. So there's no difference in between the Jews or the Gentiles. So that's everybody. In the scriptural days, you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. So that lumps in everybody. So then Paul goes in and he goes further along. Okay, and he's in verse uh, 13, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's everyone. Not just a chosen few, but everyone. Everyone that calls upon him will be saved. Now that also brings us into this thing as far as, uh, you know, what do you have to do to be saved? I imagine all of y'all have been asked that question at one point in time. What do you have to do to be saved? Paul says, all that you have to do is believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are saved. Right? Simple. But wait a minute. I thought I have to tithe to be saved. No. I thought I had to go to church to be saved. No. You don't. But there is something else that you have to do. And Paul tells us here. So in in those times and days, and you were walking around and you saw a Roman centurion or a Roman soldier, the Roman soldier would greet you or would greet another Roman by beating his chest and saying, Caesar is Lord. Which basics 101 says, I am a Roman because Caesar is the Son of God and that he died on the cross and three days later he rose again from the grave. Whenever you truly believe that, you can do nothing but Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Because he's the Lord of your life. See, it's, it's not this that I know that Jesus died on the cross. It's that I know that he died on the cross. Maybe this will help you out. We, we have a gentleman and we're praying for him. And I didn't ask for permission on doing this. Uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. We have a gentleman that's been battling cancer for four years in this church. Y'all know we, Marty. Marty's not doing good. I sat here about four weeks ago, and I had a conversation with Marty, and he was asking me about his funeral. I'm having to have a conversation with this man about death. And he says, but you know what? 
He says, I'm okay. He says, because I know whose I am. And I know that I'm a child of God. Four years ago, I had an interview with Marty and his wife and Andrew sitting here on the stage. And I want y'all to know that Marty, up until that point in time, knew about Jesus Christ right up here. Marty had been in church just about all of his life. He had been part of children's ministry. He had been part of youth ministry. But can I let you know that Marty knows it now, right here in his heart. And I know that if Marty breathes his last breath in that hospital right now, that he's in heaven with his father. And I know that he has glorified his father. And I know that his father is doing exactly what this scripture says, that if we profess him, that we will not be ashamed of him. God has held Marty's hand throughout all of this. had a conversation after the second interview with Marty with some of the pastors and stuff. And the question was given, why don't we do this? Why don't we continue to minister to people? And I said, so that we get to see people like Marty. That understands what it is about truly loving God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, regardless of what's going on in this world, regardless of what's going on in your life. See, Marty knew that he was broken, and he knew that Jesus Christ was the only one that could fix him. But until we get there, until we're truly able to get there and say that Jesus Christ is the center of my life. The only thing that we can do is to profess Him as our Lord. Jesus is my Lord. He's my heart. He's my center. He is everything. See, Nicodemus understood later on in his life about being broken. And we know that Nicodemus repented of his sins and Nicodemus was there and, and to help bury his Savior. Where are you today? Do you think that you're broken? Or do you know that you're broken and Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Let us stand for dismissal. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, dear Lord, so much for today. God, I pray, dear Lord, that each one that is here God, that they get to that point, that they know in their heart that they're broken. 
and that they ask for repentance because it's only through your son Jesus Christ that we can be made righteous and our faith in him and our trust in him. In Jesus' name, amen.